Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Thank you for really engaging it, not just listening and doing nothing with it, but actually taking this stuff and using it to help lives to flourish and help those around you um, to really live out their gifts and talents. So I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me as usual is my brother, Brandon Stiver. Brandon, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm super pumped for this uh, interview today. Also pumped for those that are listening. Uh, this will be releasing in September, which means we will just be, oh, a week and a half away from CAFO Summit in Oklahoma City. So uh, shout out to those people that are going to be joining us uh, in Oklahoma City. Phil, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yep. We're actually a part of the same intensive, right? Uh, yeah. uh, moving towards family-based solutions, uh, which is going to be right before CAFO Summit. So that's cool. Uh, yeah, should be fun. Should be exciting. You doing anything else while you're out there in OKC? Uh, well, you know, I, I do hope everyone, you know, stops by, say hi, reach out, let us know you're going to be there. See if we can, you know, at least say hi. If not, if not grab coffee together and meet and connect and see what you're doing, see how we might be able to work together. Uh, I will be doing, you know, I'll be there Thursday, Tuesday to Friday. So I'm around. I've got a couple meetings already set. Excited for those. I'm actually on Monday going to be heading out. A good friend of mine, his son, um, is now a freshman at the University of Oklahoma, uh, preferred walk on with the football team. So going to go visit him, probably take him to dinner on Monday. And, you know, I'm hoping he gives me a little tour of the facility. So if you're listening, uh, Ty, you know, that's, I doubt you are, but if you are, know that that would be really cool. So that'd be a good, good fun time. So I, I mean, you know, who knows? It's going to be, it'll be cool. I've never been out to, never been to Oklahoma. So I can cross that off the states okay. that I have now visited and never, definitely never been to Norman and seeing the big OU. So it'll be interesting. Right. It'll be a good time. But yeah. Who do we have today? More importantly, who do we have today? Right. Because this is a great, great interview. I'm, this is I'm a great stoked interview. to get this out to everybody. Yeah. Great conversations ahead. Um, both at CAFO Summit and on our interview today. So today we have uh, we have Brian Fickert on the show, a man who probably needs no introduction. He wrote When Helping Hurts. He's written uh, Becoming Whole. He's written just phenomenal books and such a thought leader in this space. But uh, we, we also have a bonus. We also have Gabriel Walder from uh, Alliance for Children Everywhere joining as well. Uh, a great organization doing really important work in uh, Zambia, and they just recently incorporated in Malawi as well. Uh, and just a just a great uh, organization, a great leader in terms of providing care uh, in the global south. Um, and we get to talk through collaboration. We get to talk through work that they've done together, kind of bringing together the best in economic development with with great practice in orphan care and family based care. So. This is a fun conversation. I know, uh, you know, uh, our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. So, uh, yeah, let's get into this conversation that we were able to have with Brian and Gabe. Well, Brian and Gabe, it is so great to have you here on Think Orphan. Brian, again, Gabe, you know, I, I this is the first time, right? Yeah, it is the first time. You you know I feel like we've had such great conversations I can never remember if we've actually had you on I know we've had we had Kari on before 
to talk about Ace and the great work you're doing. But uh, that was that was a while back. Um, so, you know, what we want to do now, as usual, we usually have you share your story because people don't know who you are. Um, you know, I, I know that, Brian, you've been on, but Brian, I'd love to hear from you just what you've been up to, what Chalmers has been up to since I think it was it was a while back. Brandon, you probably know the date, the exact date. I don't know what the exact it? date, but it was it was 2018. Last time we had Carrie on, and the last time we had Brian on. So, and I did what listen to Brian's not too long ago, and it was just fantastic. So, so you basically set the bar really high, is what you're doing there, Brandon. Exactly. But that's that's all right. We're good. We're good. We're good. We'll take care of it. We'll get. We'll hit it. We'll hit it and exceed it. Um, but Brian, just what you know, what's been going on since 2018? Tons of stuff. Oh this a snapshot. Some of the cool stuff, some of the highlights that have that have happened, additional books. We've probably written like thirty books since then, but you know, just just a few touch points of these are the highlights. And I know this little thing called COVID happened in between there, but uh, we won't highlight uh, that unless some cool things happen during it. So what, what, just give us a little little uh, update. The thing is that um, my son and his wife had twin girls. Nice. I was father of twin. Wow. And wow. they own me. So so. Pretty much my entire world gets reduced down to just looking at them and holding them and playing with them when I'm with them. So that's the most important thing. But I, I, I want, can we get a picture of that to put in the show notes? Because I want to see the six foot ten Brian Fickert holding a little baby in his arms or two at the same time and see how little they look even more little. So if we can do that, that'd be fantastic. So That'd be a lot of fun. So, okay. so on, on the personal side, that's the big story. Um, on the work side, um, you know, this has been a difficult time for everybody, for every ministry and so on. And so certainly we've gone through ups and downs and continue to. But um, uh, we also see God uh, working uh, to move us into a particular direction, we think. And so historically, the Chalmers Center has said that we are a church-equipping organization. We want to help uh, people who are poor to see the local church in their community, as what the Bible says it is, the very embodiment of Jesus Christ. And so towards that end, we have designed strategies and initiatives that we think the local church can use. We field tested those strategies, then we've trained churches and church equipping organizations uh, to use those strategies and to scale them beyond us. And so uh, we've historically had a focus on some core ideas about poverty. Uh, and uh, so some of that's captured in our book, When Helping Hurts. But then we've also had particular expertise in the uh, sector of economic development, helping people to be able to work, support themselves through that work, glorify God in the process. And so in that uh, arena, we've been very active in the U.S. side on um, uh, jobs preparedness training, help people, helping people get off of wealth and into work, financial literacy, helping them understand how to steward their money better. Then internationally, we focused very much in the space of microfinance and microenterprise development. And so that's all been going on. It continues to go on. We continue to be very excited about all of that. Uh, but in the last five years or so, um, we started to realize that, that it seems like God has um, dragged us into understanding uh, his theory of change, if you will, or his story uh, of change even more deeply. And and so uh, we uh, co-authored two books with Kelly, who's a theologian. One of them is called Becoming Whole, Why the Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American Dream. And then the field guide 
to becoming whole. And, and basically what we're trying to do there is to just communicate what is God's story of change? What are God's goals? And you might rephrase that as what does human flourishing really look like? Then how does God typically go about achieving those goals? And so um, there's that piece. And then what we've really said is, you know, there's a sense in which Christians are asked to live into a world that's not yet fully here yet. We are called to embody Christ's kingdom, but that kingdom isn't fully here, and nobody quite knows what it looks like uh, in this village or in this city or on uh, or in my neighborhood here. And so we have to improvise the kingdom to some degree. And so what we've done is we've taken some of the core ideas in Becoming Whole and the Field Guide, we've integrated that with tools from the field of design thinking, tools for creativity and imagination, and now we have a, a series of products that we're calling Innovate, in which we're helping ministries um, to really creatively improvise God's story in their particular setting. Now, a lot of it, quite frankly, is helping God's people to rediscover who we really are. I don't think we really know who, we don't know God's story that well, we don't know who we are in that story. And so it's helping the church to rediscover God's story to understand who we are, and then to creatively live into that. And so God has been blessing that. And increasingly, we see Chalmers, um, God is, um, I think, using us to impact, um, I would say, the paradigms and practices of the Christian ecosystem. So so we still want to maintain our emphasis in the local church, because we think that's central to God's story. But increasingly, we're finding ourselves in the space of... Um, speaking into the, um, the philanthropic space, uh, the business community, uh, academia, various sectors. And so still very focused in the local church, but starting to see God use us to change the paradigms and practices more broadly. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. Um, and we've, been, we've loved working with Gabe. Uh, we tried to hire Gabe at one point, but he's like the prophet's son. <laughs> Off in the wrong direction, and eventually we'll come home. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome him with open arms. We will slaughter the fatted calf for Gabe. But that's awesome. Working with Gabe and with uh, his organization, Ace, and, and uh, trying to creatively work in the space of orphans and vulnerable children. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I remember getting on a phone call with you about a decade ago. Um, Peter Greer had connected us, and we were talking about doing the forward to In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. And actually, it was even before that phone call, I was at a KFO summit, and we, I said something to you, we talked, and I said, you know, I'd love to, you know, have you do the forward, and the question was, well, I don't know how much when helping Hearst has to do with orphan care. And, and then <laughs> I was like, this is fantastic to see what God has done, and I think that goes to what you said. Um, we are trying to find God's theory of change. We're trying to find His... I, you don't, we, we hear so many people, let's find, what is our theory of change? What is our theory of change? What is our theory of change? It flips it on its head and says, no, what is God's theory of change? How can we live into that and to open? And I've seen that in you in so many different ways. You've been so encouraging to me in so many different ways and I love it. So just thank you for being thank faithful to the call and seeking God's theory of change personally and corporately. It's, you, it's so evident. So That's evident. Our, God's used to in my life. It, yeah. And, and, um, this is just a learning journey we're all on. Love it. It's more we interact with each other. You start to hear things that overlap and are synergies. And oh, 
oh, I see, think I see something there. And so it, it's really a precious thing that God is doing in our lives. 100%, 100%. All right, Gabe, um, your turn. Just you, You're new to the Think Orphan audience. Some people probably know you, the flowing locks. It's just, you know, something that you have that kind of Thor look Samson. about you that comes. And, um, but uh, there's so much more to you than that. And I uh, just love for you to just share just your story a little bit um, and tell us what's going on with Ace since uh, we last talked uh, to Kari a few years ago. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been in this position now. I can't believe it, but it's been a little over four years. So it's going quickly and slowly at the same time. As Brian said, it's been a difficult season for a lot of organizations and especially during COVID, just the ups and downs of not knowing what programming you could implement, not knowing what philanthropy would look like, all of that. But for me personally, it's been a, a long journey. So I actually, probably the introduction to the OVC space started when I studied abroad in Dakar, Senegal. And there were these street children that would interact with us at the West African Research Center. They would come up and they would ask for food and they would ask for money. And I knew enough, even as an undergrad, that it wasn't as simple as just handing out food or money. But it really it really broke me, to be honest with you, um, just seeing the reality of these kids coming up, seeing the reality of the brokenness of uh, just the acute poverty in Senegal. And also as an undergrad, realizing that there was no simple solution, right? There was no silver bullet. There was no obvious answer. And, and each individual child was a soul that God had created and a, and a human that God had created and had complexities. And also there was no um, easy solution as they were all individual image bearers of God. So when I got back from studying abroad, my wife and I, as a large part of result of that um, experience, decided to become foster parents. So we started fostering and um, that was, you know, an entire experience in and of itself. So we fostered for about five years. We had two long-term placements that did not result in adoption. Um, both of those placements were incredibly difficult for us. Um, we obviously loved them and supported them. And even beyond that, really wanted for the reunification to take place and wanted to support the local families wanted to support the biological families um, of those children. But we also saw again that it was complex and it was difficult. Um, so for me, when I started fostering and I had just gotten done with my undergrad, I ended up doing my master's in international development, but I was in central Illinois kind of thinking, okay, what am I going to do with a, a master's in international development in, in central Illinois? And so I actually got introduced to an organization called Loving Shepherd Ministries, worked there in Haiti for about four years. Um, and then worked for All God's Children International before coming on with ACE as the executive director and CEO for the last four years. But um, the big personal thing would be that we have four children and two of which uh, are adopted. Um, actually, my youngest just turned two a couple days ago, which was mm. really exciting. And um, they're all doing really well. But in terms of ACE, um, ACE has actually been around for 52 years. So a really long, rich history. This year, 2023, is the 25th anniversary of ACE Zambia. So ACE Zambia, primarily in Lusaka, has been operating primarily as a community-based organization, a CBO, for the last 25 years. That means that we have a local staff of about 75 local Zambians, and we also have a local board of directors as well that ACE USA kind of works with. 
um, directly and indirectly. So what I would say the big shift for ACE has been we're just in the last three years moving away from just direct implementation through ACE Zambia and now ACE Malawi, but also through ACE Transition Partners. So that um, really is tied also to the economic development work that we've done with the Chalmers Center and with Brian in particular, because we realized that although we focus primarily on reunifications and foster to adopt, the economic strengthening and the acute poverty that these families experience was for the most part, one of the main drivers for that family separation. So ACE Transition Partners is now working in about six different countries with about eight different clients. And really the the theory of change and what we feel like God has called us to is how do we take that 25 years and then really 52 years of experience and help other organizations in their own journey transitioning primarily from institutional care or running orphanages to family-based care. Um, and again, just like every individual child is unique, every organization is unique. So mm-hmm. we know that there has to be a lot of um, both caution and wisdom when you're working with an organization to make sure that you're customizing your services to a certain extent to make sure that you're in the context that they're actually working in. Like Brian alluded to earlier, it's not as simple as saying, hey, this has worked in Zambia for the last 25 years. It should work in this particular setting in Malawi. Every yeah. village is different. Every city is different. Every country is different. Every region is different. And so we, I think the ethos of, of ACE Transition Partners and what I think God's really called us to is we don't pretend to have all of the solutions and we never will. Um, we, we are just saying, hey, God has blessed us enough that we have a long history of and a long track record of success with family-based care. And I think, frankly, to be honest, there's just not enough collaboration in our sector. There never has been. And I think that a lot of people, especially when things are going well, tend to maybe hoard those solutions. And so for us, we're saying we want to be open-handed. Obviously, there's wisdom in that too, open-handed and um, just allowing organizations to walk that journey that we feel like God um, really does intend for children to be with families. And that's there's a biblical mandate for that as well. So. No, it's so good, Gabe. And just, I, I love what you say there in terms of, you know, walking alongside organizations. I love, I love that idea. And we recently had a conversation around orphanage transformation and, and uh, walking alongside with other organizations that are operating in the same space. I would love for our listeners to look back at that conversation we had a month ago and just really appreciate the work that ACE is doing and ACE Transition Partners. Um, guys, we want to we want to jump in, and I'm going to come to you, Brian. I, as I was uh, listening to your last episode, uh, which was five years ago, and and kind of thinking about, okay, uh, you know, you have this great partnership with Ace, and and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, as uh, Phil has mentioned before, when helping hurts is kind of the go-to recommendation on uh, this podcast, and. Uh, it, it has just spoken so much. Uh, the last episode that we recorded, it, which will actually be in front of this one, was actually looking at um, abuse in in orphanages and child protection. And even in that scenario, one of our one of our people uh, talking about you know uh, the propensity for poor practice, you know, from Westerners going into these spaces. Uh, she had your book on hand. She actually had two of your books on hand. And she said, I have Brian Fickett here just in case I need him, you know? And I said, well, your episode will come right after his. <laughs> but at any rate, 
you know, when we talk about this, you know, international community development, economic development, uh, cross-cultural stuff, and we are talking about, you know, orphan care, child welfare, one of the things that we often kind of speak to in child welfare is service provision or family support. These are very kind of common, ubiquitous words that we use. Um, and there's kind of this whole history. You even mentioned a moment ago as far as like helping people get off of welfare, right? So there's kind of a whole history of like, what does it mean for people to be perpetually on welfare, right? And yet we say this is the child welfare space. So, so this kind of word of welfare can almost have a negative connotation. Uh, it can potentially be a disempowering position. I would just kind of be curious, you know, as you have from the economic development and the community development space, you know, interacting in, with child welfare or, or just with vulnerable families in this way, I'm curious from your experience and, and mission to the poor, if you could maybe even provide a critique almost of the approach that we go to. Uh, and help us kind of discern that line between child welfare, you know, providing services, maybe this is kind of like relief versus supporting people to progress, you know, in their families and living situations, maybe something more akin to development as you talk about when Wahelope hurts. Yeah. Whatever you're all paying me to do this, you're not paying me enough for this moment. Paying <laughs> <laughs> me anything. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I'll i be honest, Brian, when, when even some of my staff, I was like, yeah, Brian Fickert's going to come back on the show. And they're like, oh, I love Brian Fickert. OK, so I had to like think of like, what's the best question that I could just pin this guy to the wall? You know, so anyways. Well, and I always say we get what we pay for. So, that's right. you know, Which, that's yeah, that's there you go. Exactly right. <laughs> Disclaimer, we don't pay anybody to come on Think Orphan. OK, go ahead. <laughs> Never will. No, anyway. OK. <laughs> there, there's so many things to unpack there. So, So let me. Let me start with the most superficial piece, just a very, very, very superficial thing. Uh, the, the, the American church right now is so divided and so many issues. And, and one of the things that we're divided on is, um, are people poor because of their individual sin or because of some kind of systemic injustice? And um, there's some overlap between that division and the question you're asking me. So... so uh, those who think that it's about individual brokenness uh, tend to be opposed to any kind of government intervention at all. The problem is inside. It's the soul. We've got to fix the soul, and government handouts won't fix that. And then others who are more into uh, structural injustice would say, no, the systems are broken. That's what's going on. We've got to address those. And um, to be honest with you, well, by the way, my primary spiritual gift is offensiveness. So here we go. Um <laughs> You know, the fall happened. The fall happened. And, and, and it it's because the fall happened, because the fall is comprehensive in scope, of course individuals are broken. And of course systems are broken. And oh, by the way, demonic forces have been given greater latitude post-Genesis 3 as well. And so this entire um, division, now I don't know who's, I'm probably stepping at everybody's toes, it's just silly. Of course, individuals are broken. Of course, systems are broken, and there's demonic forces. So, we all just kind of need to go over ourselves a little bit. So, so that's just the preamble. Um, I, I would say that in a, another slice at what you're asking me, uh, we could take it uh, from this perspective. Um, I, my view is that uh, the vast majority of poverty alleviation efforts have flown out of a story 
of Western naturalism, which says that um, the human being is fundamentally a physical creature. And so happiness comes from consuming more stuff. So how can people consume more stuff? Well, you can either give them things, that's this, the traditional welfare system, or you can help them earn more so they can buy more things. That's more the economic empowerment strategy. My suspicion is that many people listening to this podcast today prefer the economic empowerment strategy. Let's help strengthen families economically. If we strengthen them economically, they can be better places to raise children. We can prevent uh, um, orphans and uh, uh, we can prevent people from becoming orphans to begin with. We can help vulnerable children. Let's economically strengthen the family. And I certainly agree with that. And a lot of our work with ACE is, is in that space. But I think we have to be careful with the economic empowerment strategy as well. Um, you may have noticed America's not doing that great. Um, <laughs> our families say. Yeah, our families are falling apart. Our communities are falling apart. The political process is broken. We're coming apart at the seams. But we've got economic empowerment. We, we, we're, we're, we're the greatest economic success story the world has ever seen, and yet we're miserable. And, and so economic empowerment on its own is a false story. We're, we're not just created to be consuming machines who pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps so we can earn more to consume more. That's not who we are as God's creatures. And so we think about strengthening the family. I think we have to ask, strengthening them for what? Is it for more of the American dream of highly individualistic, materialistic consumerism? Or is it strengthening the family to be a greenhouse that produces image bearers? And, and central to image bearing is that we're hardwired for relationship with God, self, others, and creation. And that relationship with creation is one of work, not just to get more stuff, but work as worship to God and as service to others. And so it's a different story that requires different um, um, design of our interventions, quite frankly, different operations, different funding sources, different metrics. It's a different story. And so that's a lot, but, but it, it's a different thing. We've got to right. live it to the right story. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about one of my favorite conferences, which is coming up this October. It's the Replanted Conference, and if you are a foster parent, an adoptive parent, a safe family parent, or if you are involved as a support to these kinds of families, Replanted is the conference for you. The Replanted Conference will be held October 12th through 14th, 2023 in Chicago. But if you aren't able to make it to Chicago, don't worry. They've got simulcast sites in cities throughout the country. I was a part of one of the simulcast sites last year, and as an adoptive dad, I walked away refreshed, equipped, and inspired for this caregiving journey. I know you will be too. The highly specialized training, the stories from adult adoptees and foster alumni, and the invaluable community support will blow your mind. Not only that, but as a listener of Think Orphan, you get a special discount by using the coupon code 1MH10. That is $10 off with the code 1MH10. Guys, you don't want to miss this conference. Tell a friend and visit replantedconference.org to secure your spot today. And I think what I hear you saying is, look, the, 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 there's complexity here. There's nuance, of course, and 
different families, you know, different organizations are going to fill different needs or, or need different needs. Right. So, so I, I definitely, I definitely hear that. And, and of course it makes me wonder, you know, how can we, you, you know, okay. So going to the international development space, we look at something like, okay, you can look at gross national income per capita or GDP, some of these kind of economic markers, but then you have the human development index, right? Which is, okay, you gave a thumbs up for the HDI because it's it's going in the right direction because, so for those that don't know, it not only looks at GDP, but it also looks at life expectancy and literacy education. uh, And and it kind of brings those, those things together to try to create some sort of proxy for um, for human flourishing. Now, yeah. human flourishing is kind of a, a Christian word that we that we use quite a bit. So hopefully, you know, we can move countries, communities more up the HDI. But there's, there's a whole movement towards right. more holistic measures. Yeah, yeah, and and I I, I appreciate you know those efforts. Uh, of course. When anybody listens to a podcast, especially with such brilliant minds as, as the two of you, we want to find the silver bullet, uh, and <laughs> those silver bullets simply do not exist, um, including not even for the families that we're serving, but prayerfully, hopefully, we can see families move forward. Um, I want to- Hey, Brandon, our... on that note, I just want to add, ahead, since dude. episode one, I think that if you want one common thread from every episode we've ever had, it's that. There is no silver bullet. It's nuanced. We need to work together. We need to uh, value and respect each other. We need to listen to each other. We need to understand each other and not come in with our way is the right way. Um, You need to do what we do and we can tack in a couple of your cute little things, but we do it the right way. Those are the people that tend to come in, flash in the pan, get out. The people that stick around are the people that understand we don't know everything. We never will know everything. With every answer comes 50 more questions, and that's why we need each other. And so right. that's why I love this episode, having you two working together, people who have been doing things in different areas, and neither come into the table with, I got the answers, so you can work with me. Now it's we need to work together to glean from each other. And that's, I mean, it's absolutely, it'd be very easy for you, Brian, to sit on your laurels and say, I wrote a book that was a, you know, sold a ton of copies and you are probably one of the most humble guys I've ever worked with um, on it. And that's where it's something that is, and I know, you know, that that's something that is because God has empowered that and enabled that. So I just wanted to say that, that there, because I know you kind of said it as, as a joke a little bit, Brandon, but I think it's so important to not only remember there's nuances and there's no silver bullet. But also remember, we're not searching for the silver bullet because there isn't one and there never will be one. And that's something that is critical as we have this conversation. Right. And, and we can we can just put that as the as the tagline for Think Orphan. Think Orphan. No, <laughs> no silver bullets here. Uh, keep on moving. Um, you know, one of the things, though, that you mentioned there, Phil, in, is in terms of collaboration. And, um, you know, collaboration is something that creates those nuanced solutions. Um, there are things that Chalmers that Chalmers brings in, there are things that Ace brings in, 
And when there's a collaboration there, or even One Million Home in Providence World, right? One mm-hmm. of the one the coming together around this podcast and and equipping people throughout the world to better care for orphans. There there are things that are created uh, when we can collaborate, and we'll kind of you know by having two different. Uh, executives from two different organizations. That's one of the reasons we wanted to have this particular conversation. I do want to point our listeners to an article uh, that the two of you wrote along with uh, Jack Eanes uh, on church leaders. We will have it linked in the show notes. It's called When Helping Hurts Vulnerable Children. And uh, it was it was a good read. I, I kind of wanted to pull a quote from this article that you guys uh, wrote together. Uh, in the article, you write, as described in the book, When Helping Hurts, effective and sustainable poverty poverty alleviation doesn't start with bringing in lots of outside money. Rather, it begins with an asset-based approach, identifying local resources that can be used to solve local problems. In this situation, an asset-based approach reveals that the most essential asset for for child rearing is already present in the most impoverished settings, families. I love that. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I want to hear from Gabe, you know, Gabriel, as you guys have, you know, walked alongside uh, Chalmers, you've obviously followed Brian's work and have been collaborating now for some time. Could you just kind of speak to how the principles of When Helping Hurts applies to the work of ACE, uh, of Alliance for Children Everywhere? And, uh, you know, even how does your team view families as assets, as kind of those core assets to raising a child? Yeah, absolutely. So, I think the first thing is this concept of material poverty versus poverty just in general, right? So a lot of times you hear people say someone's impoverished or they have, you know, they're in poverty. And I think one of the key terms that really came to me out of when helping herds was the idea of just material poverty as opposed to poverty in general. The reality is the families that we work with, they're not impoverished in spirit. They're not impoverished in community. They're not impoverished in um just their sense of belonging even together. Um, But they are simply lacking resources, material resources. And so for us, we had been doing something called just savings groups, uh, village uh, savings and loan, um, which worked well, but we realized um, kind of early on that there was some uh, dependency on what we were doing with emergency food distribution as well. That was a part of that savings group um, kind of cohort. So when I had kind of thought through when helping hurts and reread it for probably the fifth time, I realized, hey, we're doing something really effective here, um, especially with savings groups. But this emergency food distribution is creating some long-term dependency. So we would have families that would kind of roll off of it, and then within six months they would be coming back and saying, hey, we need to re-enter into the program. And so we had heard and read about the graduation approach, um, and that really is more of a six-pronged asset transfer, business development, um, skills training, market literacy. There's, you know, all these aspects to it. And I realized that the core behind it was it's finite, right? So it only lasts 18 to 24 months. And then the families are intended to quote, graduate from the program and then they can be sustained uh, long-term. I think what I really love about that is that like you mentioned, Brandon, and um, to Brian's book is these families have the assets that they need for the large part to be sustainably out of poverty. It was just that we needed to basically get them over the hump um, in some some cases with resources and injecting some capital into that. Um, but for us, I think what's really been incredible is seeing the transformation that these families go um, through through the graduation approach. So a lot of times 
um, you'll see that these families, once they graduate from the GA, they actually then in turn start employing other individuals and other um, community members within the business that they started. And that's an incredible testimony because they went from acute poverty, you know, less than a dollar a day in some cases to now literally entrepreneurs that are employing in some cases five to 10 individuals um, in their small business that they're running, um, wow. which for us is not something that ACE takes credit for. It's it's really the credit goes to these families. It goes to um, God working in their hearts. And also um, we're now introducing sort of a spiritual lens to the graduation approach. Um, what we've realized is that a lot of the, we target primarily about 95% of the, the um, individuals that we work with in the GA are women. And a lot of them are, are single mothers. And a lot of them have been survivors of domestic abuse and other um, uh, abusive situations. And so they came through the GA, but they actually voiced on their own, hey, this is great. And it's, you know, addressing a lot of our physical needs, but we also have spiritual and emotional and, tra and trauma needs as well. And so um, one of our employees, Matrita Fieri, is now starting kind of a spiritual lens. And it actually takes on a lot of the um, work that the Chalmers Center has done and some of the principles from When Helping Hurts. Um, where we're able to have kind of a, uh, more importantly, even than the physical components, a spiritual healing that can take place in these families. So these women are not only um, empowered to employ five uh, other women in their entrepreneurship, but they can actually speak to the healing that's happened in their hearts and their minds and their spirits, um, and that they've come from this traumatic experience and that God has healed them. And then now they can actually speak to these other women about the experiences that they've had um, that are at a lot of, a lot of times very um, similar situations and similar experiences. So uh, I think in, in total, um, yeah, we, we really just feel like the family is the solution. We really feel like the family is the asset. Um, and we know even from the proof of concept that we've done with a small cohort of about 300 families, about 85% of them already, and this has been about a year since they stopped the program, 85% of them are actually out and have graduated from poverty sustainably. And I think when we started even, and even probably Brian and I can attest to this, we we weren't sure that it would be such a high you know rate of success. And again, that's not about ACE. That's not about Chalmers. It's not about a silver bullet. It just speaks to all of the assets that were already there, right? And all of the knowledge, sure. all of the community, so... Yeah, though no, that's really good, and and I, I appreciate what you said there towards the beginning in terms of like different definitions of what poverty is, right? And, and of course, if we go to when helping hurts or when we go to walking with the poor, we are understanding the multiple dimensions of what poverty is and what we see when uh, kids are becoming separated from their families, especially if poverty is one of those main root causes, right? It tends to be poverty plus something else, right? But poverty leads to those other adversities. But now if the kid is being dropped off at an orphanage, well, now the, now the, the, the poverty has actually increased, right? Because now they're at a much higher rate of relational poverty and the strength and the asset of what those relationships entail. So I, I appreciate that. We, we need to have a just just in the same way that we can't understand everything in terms of uh, the well-being of people by just looking at economic numbers, you know, GNI, GDP, but we want to have HDI, those types of things. It's the same when we talk about poverty, right? The, the poverty isn't just that lack, right? That's, that's kind of the first fallacy, right? Poverty is deficit, right? No, 
poverty is not just a deficit of material things. Poverty is something that is much more. Um, and of course, we're credited, we credit uh, Brian and Steve, and of course, before them, even Bryant Myers, Jayakumar Christian, and others that, that really kind of have helped us within the faith uh, understand that multidimensional poverty. Um, you know, Gabe, I would love to even just kind of tack on, you know, talking about that broken relationship piece, right? When Helping Hurts provides an understanding of broken relationships as a cause of poverty, you know, and you guys as a child welfare provider, right? You guys are supporting reunifications. You guys are doing uh, foster care. You know, uh, you guys are having your, I believe you guys still have a crisis nursery, you know, yeah. for, for kids that, that uh, have fallen out or have been abandoned. You know, as you guys are understanding, you know, these relationship dynamics of, of poverty and, and how that, you know, leads to such poverty. Uh, are you seeing this understanding manifest in families that ACE is serving this, this uh, understanding broken relationships as a cause of poverty? Are you seeing this? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think uh, let's let's talk about the crisis nurseries, I guess, first. So we do have two crisis nurseries. One's called House, House of Moses. One's called Bill and Betty Bryant Crisis Nursery. And really what we see is a lot of abandonment. Um, we see a lot of children that have been neglected to the point where they actually have police or other uh, neighbors, perhaps, that notice similar to the American foster care system, where they're notified the police come and actually take and separate the child from that family, either biological family or the original um, caregivers. Um, and I think what is kind of incredible to see, however, is, is a lot of these families, we can also see a lot of healing that can take place. Um, reunifications, it's not as simple as just economic strengthening, but it also is the spiritual that I talked about before and the trauma healing. Um, we actually just had two of our consultants that run ACE Transition Partners go to Grand Rapids and go through the TBRI practitioner training. Um, and that was incredibly important for us because, um, again, every one of these families is unique. Like we said, there's no silver bullet and every situation is incredibly different and complex. And so for us to approach these families with uh, a lot of humility and also putting ourselves in their place, it's really easy to assume, hey, there was an abandonment or there was neglect um, or there was an abuse. And so um, we can oftentimes almost criminalize those individuals. And obviously there is the abuse and neglect, all that is, is serious. And I'm not saying that that's not... Um, and that's not true. I'm just saying that poverty also can be a driver for separation as well. And so you can kind of turn that notion on its head a little bit and say, you know, when, when someone's in acute poverty, it really changes the dynamic of how things are and it changes um, how people are interacting with one another as well. And so we, we also want to be cognizant of that too. No, that's really good. And, and, you know, when we think about all the issues that are you know, facing families. And we kind of think about this whole system of what it means to live in a global community. And in, even for us to kind of be, you know, faith-based providers. So earlier, Gabe, you were talking about how, you know, your guys' own experience within family-based care and then providing support through ACE Transition Partners to other organizations. You know, there's this whole continuum. And, and one of the things that I want to hear from Brian on is this, is this component around the work of the American church in intercultural types of, you know, environments and, and working cross-culturally. Um, when you were on the last show, 
uh, uh, five years ago, you pointed that uh, churches often might have little incentive to change their mindsets around mission practices. Uh, because as you said, the customer is in the pew. All right. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I resonate. gift you're talking about. So that's yeah, good. that's, that's, that's good. right. I liked it. Liked it. It's, it, it's the prophetic. It's the prophetic. Uh, and I, I appreciate, I appreciate the honesty of that. I mean, I lived in Tanzania for eight years and the way that churches operate there is just quite different. And I'm not trying to say like, oh, you know, it's, it's perfect over there and over here it's terrible. I actually am a part of a congregation that I absolutely love and they have a heart for the community. They have a heart for the congregation. So, so it's, it's not one of those, but the way that they function in the global South is, can be quite different, right? And here, because we do live in this very consumeristic, individualistic, these are some of our kind of uh, broader society markers in the U.S., the customer then is in the pew when we apply that uh, almost uh, ecclesiologically. So this has led to poor practice historically and Christian involvement in orphan care, of course. I would just be kind of interested, you know, if we kind of have that marker of 2018 when you were last talking with Phil about this, I'm wondering if you've seen any kind of shift in that dynamic um, as many churches have even shuttered their doors. And, you know, we referred to COVID, you know, church attendance has gone down. Many churches have closed post pandemic. Uh, have you seen any shift? And then, you know, even maybe speak to the hopeful part as well. What are some opportunities that might be in front of the American church uh, to reorient ourselves? Wow. <laughs> the question's going to start to get any easier at some points in this podcast. I'm going I'm to I'm let Phil go next, so yes, it'll get gonna, much easier. I'm just going to tell you, Brandon's the guy that uh, brings a PhD level uh, books and recommendations and stuff, and I like to stick to the coloring books. So, you know, I, I try to keep it, you know, light and fun and friendly, and Brandon just brings these uppercuts. So I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. That's uh, that's why we brought him on. He, he can bring these things. But you basically have a couple of books written on it, too. That's the good news is you can uh, point people to other things you've written, too. That's true, which, of course, we'll link. But, Brian, go ahead. So, first of all, um, it's become um, uh, quite popular these days to bash the church, to bash the American church. I'm not too crazy about all that. So, so I'm highly critical of the church. The church drives me nuts. But the body and bride and fullness of Jesus Christ. So um, I think we ought to tread pretty lightly when we start. Uh, actually, uh, somebody posted on Facebook the other day, the other day a, a, um, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I'm not going to get it quite right, but he basically says... Um, be careful when you start to get pleasure from bashing the church. Mm. And so I think that that's a very helpful way of thinking about it. So um, I, I'm very frustrated with the U.S. church, as many are, but, but she's the bride of Christ, and we're part of her, and we, 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 we don't get to choose to exit her. Um, so, so I'm all in the, on the church. Um, yeah, I remember uh, Shane Claiborne said uh, the church is like Noah's Ark. When you're inside, there's a lot of poop everywhere, but if you jump out, you die. <laughs> so that's a great quote. I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say that the, the, the American church, um, 
I, in my view, has been really affected by another false story. And, and we call this one in our book, Becoming a Whole, we call it evangelical Gnosticism. And we, we get that term from a, a development thinker named Daryl Miller. And, and the basic idea in, in Gnosticism is an ancient heresy, but the basic idea in Gnosticism is that the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. And, and the church has kind of uh, uh, intermingled that a bit with the gospel in, in, in the following sense. Uh, in, in, in the church's anthropology, we tend towards thinking that the body is a container for the soul in the way that a cup contains water. And so you can pour out the water, right? The, the, the water and the cup aren't actually intertwined. They touch each other, but they're not intertwined. And so in that story, we tend to think that the real goal is to get the soul to heaven for all eternity. So we focus on that. We don't really have a story for the body. We don't really have a story for this life. So we get out of bed on Monday morning. What do we do? I, you know, I've, I've accepted Christ as my Savior. My soul is going to go to heaven and float around like a ghost for all eternity. And that doesn't sound that appealing, quite frankly. But, 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 but that's, it's better than going the other place. So my soul is floating around like a ghost. I don't have a story for this life. So what we do is we revert to the only story we know, Monday through Saturday, the story of the American dream. We're just a highly individualistic, highly materialistic, highly consumer-oriented story. And it doesn't work. We're not flourishing. And the church, in my view, has rather than um, trying to give a better story, has, has borrowed from that story and said, yeah, man, maybe if we had a better band, maybe if we had, maybe if we were more entertaining. Well, you know what? Hollywood's better at being in Hollywood than we are. And, and, and so it's just not working. And so there's this, so it's a mess. And so my view is what happened in COVID is we all got really lonely because we're all really isolated and everybody's going, man, being alone isn't that great. I really want relationships with people. But a lot of us have kind of decided that the world is better at relationships than the churches. And so, so we're not going back. And, 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 and so I think the opportunity here for the church is to really give a better story and to live into a better story. And, and, and that means telling the story, but it means uh, practicing the story. It's about community. It's about relationship. And by the way, I stink at everything I'm talking about. I'm horrible <laughs> at all of this. The Chalmers staff call me Dr. Relationship because I've talked about it all day long. I'm all theory, man. I mean, I mean I, I've got to go somewhere this afternoon at 4.30, and I don't feel like going. I want to be left alone. I'm, I'm at home right now. My, my, my uh, pergola is out there calling my name. I just want to go sit there and be left alone. And I got to go do something community-related this afternoon. I don't feel like it. I stink at this. I have to develop better muscles. I've got to develop better habits, better patterns, because left alone, I'm not that great. I need others. And so I think the church has a real opportunity in a culture that is spiraling out of control to be different, to be the people of God, to be uh, that kingdom community that offers real authentic relationship where it's okay to be broken, where it's okay to say, I don't have this figured out, where it's okay to say, I'm a mess. And we're not providing that for people. And so they're just looking for it elsewhere. 
Yeah. Well, do you think that if we kind of capture that better relationship with one another or even, because I, I, I want to even apply that to kind of how we go about global mission, right? And how we go about into orphan care and development spaces. Do you think that if we could kind of take this opportunity to to develop those better relationships, that that would have an impact? Because, you know, I mean, we all saw, saw, saw the Barna studies you know, the, the $2.5 billion annually going into orphanages and, you know, God bless all those people with their amazing intentions. We all, you know, they're a part of this community, right? So, so we're not, we're not ousting anybody, but we also recognize similar to what we've already been discussing. Families are the best asset. Families are the best places for kids to be going into. Brian, do you think that if we could start to actually relate with one another in a better way that that would have the impact that we want to see in terms of global missions? Uh, It depends. So, so, so um, a bunch of people hanging out together um, doesn't necessarily point us in the right direction. So, so um, again, I think people are hardwired for four key relationships, God, self, others, and creation. And we have to understand biblically what the nature of those relationships are supposed to be. And so in terms of relationship with others, it's supposed to be that I'm here to serve you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're here to serve me. It's just not about me. Uh, there's a marvelous book that's come out called Selfie Missions, which gets what I'm talking about uh, mm. our deeper. And, and somehow missions became all about us. So, so we need a community that says it's about dying to yourself and living for the other. And once people are discipled into that and in, in that becomes part of our DNA, then suddenly uh, the missions experience doesn't need to be about one week great experience for me to feel better about myself. We can start to ask questions about how do I really be part of God's mission around the world? What does that mission look like in low-income communities? What does his healing and his restoration mean in this community? And so suddenly the questions start to become different. And, and we start to say, how could I love this child? How could I love the family they're part of? How, and, and so it's a discipleship problem. And if we were doing a better job of discipleship on this end, I think a lot of the dynamics that we're falling into internationally would would start to ameliorate. Yeah, there's so much there's so much goodness there. And it, it actually, all this conversation, I, I think we overcomplicate things so much. In our in our worlds, we try to do things. We try to do it. We try to do it. I just had a conversation with a guy the other day, and he and he's a college student. I did a, some training there with them um, on personality styles and things like that. And and he said to me, he said, you know, I'm just so caught up in success. Mm-hmm. And and I said, what does that even mean? And he's like, I'm trying to do 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 do. And I go, yeah. And you need to be. That's it. And, and I'm the worst at this. Look, right. I'm an I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's so, so I have this need, this drive to create and to produce. And some of that is God given and some of right. it's just idolatry. And so it's really hard to get it right. One hundred percent. And and I, I I cited to him one of the actually I do another podcast called How Soccer Explains Leadership and and I've been able to interview some amazing people. And one of the guys, his name's Grand Daniels, and he talked about achieved identity versus received identity. And what he said was one of the most beautiful things. He said, when you play, it was in the context of soccer, but when you do anything with an achieved identity, you play scared to survive. But when you play within a received identity, 
you play safe to serve. That's and I brilliant. thought it was so brilliant and beautiful. And he says, because the reality is everyone will meet their match. Everyone will not get what they want. Everyone will. But when you play safe to serve, you can just be, you can just receive what God gives to you and everything flows out from there. And it's so freeing. It's so beautiful. And it's a huge responsibility at the same time that we have to steward that received identity in a way that loves others and serves others and does for others what, as you said, that's why I love full circle back to what is God's theory of change and how can we live into that? And that's where I just get so excited to see, to hear what you're talking about and also to talk about what does collaboration look like in the midst of that? We always hear, you know, if we don't care who gets the credit, um, we can do amazing things. But as you said, Brian, we're better coaches than players in that regard most of the time, yep. right? And yep. also, you know, we we forget, you know, we don't listen to ourselves as well when we talk about most of the good things in life, if not all, come on just the other side of comfortable. You going to that thing this afternoon, great things are going to happen out of that. You know that. Yep. But at the end of the day, it's not comfortable. That's it. And for people-focused people, listening and empathy is not comfortable. But when we do that, amazing things happen. Anyway, on that note, Phil, you're, here from you're you. smart for the dumb guy on this podcast. I don't know. I just <laughs> talk. I talk. And if you throw enough stuff against the wall, something will stick, you know? Um, but uh, I love the hearing. The achieved versus received thing is everything. It's exactly. It's everything. Yeah. And I'm excited that. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Tend towards the achievement end. I don't yeah. mean to, but it's the habit. So, so you're totally on to it. Most of us do, right? Most of us, talent, relationship flows into identity. Hmm. And that's what creates our identity. That's right. And that, it has to be reversed. It's an upside down kingdom, right? So you said flip the triangle. And uh, so we'll, we'll, put, we'll uh, cite to that on the show notes. Put those in the show notes, Brandon. Uh, that episode, it's it's Graham Daniels. It's like probably a few weeks ago in How Soccer Explains Leadership. All right, so all of that really comes together and brings us to this idea of collaboration, which again is a huge component of this podcast. Some we've talked about from episode one, it's really why we did the podcast is to facilitate collaboration, help people work together better. And, you know, you guys are doing that together in, in cool ways. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But before we get to that, Brian, you know, with Chalmers, a lot of stuff you guys have done is with the local church, um, addressing poverty in, in the communities. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, a couple of lessons you learned from that space, but also how similar it is. And if there's any differences really working with faith-based organizations like ACE, um, how, you're, how you and Chalmers do that. Key lessons from working with the local church is that uh, there's a supernatural thing going on there. We, 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 I think the Bible teaches that, that Christ dwells in the local church. And so that means when we're with a church in a village in rural Africa that looks like it's got nothing, well, what does it have? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords dwelling amongst them. And so, so um, once we get beyond just looking at the material, we start to look at the spiritual realm, at the relational uh, dimension of things as well you start to realize that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in the people in that church. Ephesians 1 teaches us that. That's a lot of power. And so um, 
It's just recognizing what's really there. What's really there is God Almighty dwelling amongst people. And, and that there's an incredible power there that we should recognize, that we should honor, that we should seek to um, strengthen and to mobilize. And so uh, for me, that's the biggest thing, that that's the greatest asset on earth is the local church, in my view. Um, uh, we, we do work with um, quite a few parachurch organizations, large international NGOs, uh, Christian Relief and Development Agencies, and, and so on. Uh, we have very much enjoyed working with ACE, um, and uh, that's quite frankly, I, I've not been that involved in the in the details of that. Russ Mask on my staff has been the primary person there, but I think uh, what I've appreciated about uh, Gabe is his posture. It's always about um, how can we link arms to move uh, the ball forward, and he's very careful about. Um, wanting to honor Chalmers and everything and, and wanting to make sure that we're okay with things. He's just very good at um, relationship way better than I am. And so he just very, he's very good at just honoring the other and in making sure the other uh, can be what the other is created to be. And, and so that's, that's the key. Yeah. Um, now that you've been teed up, um, you know, I just love to hear from you about the, about the partnership, about the collaborative work you've been doing, uh, with Chalmers in Zambia with family preservation empowerment program. Um, and how did that collaboration come to be and how have you nurtured it? Uh, love to hear from you on that. Yeah. So I had read when helping hurts, you know, quite a few years ago, and I was actually at, I think a CAFO conference. Um, I believe it was CAFO conference, not world without orphans, but I saw Brian speak and I heard a little bit more about the savings groups and the theory of change that they had. And this was right when I had started at ACE. Um, and like I said before, a little bit earlier, we had primarily been doing emergency food relief as well as savings groups. And we had this dependency problem, like I said. And so I had also, as Brian alluded to, um, thought about working at the Chalmers Center and had a little bit of a relationship with those guys as a result. And so when I started working at ACE and I saw just the incredible um, theory of change that the uh, Chalmers Center had uh, and, and just the idea that we really needed to move away from dependency. So like I said, we had some of these individual families that had been on our program for eight to 10 years. So way longer than they needed to be, uh, way longer than what was you know good for the program or good for ACE. And so for us, we really wanted to start with just, hey, what makes sense? Like I said, how can we honor Chalmers um, and how can ACE also um, benefit from a relationship if we can collaborate together? And so it came pretty clear pretty early on, again, through Russell Mask primarily, that we really needed to move away from a dependency model to an empowerment model and ultimately to the graduation approach, or it's for short, they call it the GA. So Russell Mask and uh, several of his colleagues, they spent, I mean, I would say honestly close to an entire year sensitizing uh, our local team. So not me so much as the ACE Zambia local team on what the GA was. Um, and again, I would say, and Brian will appreciate this comment. I, I want to caution those that are, are thinking about using the GA. It is complex. It also is um, 
very, it needs to be contextualized very particularly to work well. Um, but for us, since we had been around for quite a long time and we had, you know, enough local team, like 75 staff, we had the capacity that we needed to actually try to take it on. Um, and we couldn't do that alone, to be honest. Like we had tried different things. We had tried different things. All of them had been leading to dependency. And it wasn't until, and that was really, I think, the God glorifying aspect of our collaboration is it took, um, in some cases, Russell Mask, who had been uh, a researcher and had implemented some, but needed someone to actually implement, right? And then us who were implementing, but needed that technical expertise, it took that coupling of those two um, skills and two um, kind of areas of expertise to have an end product that I think was really glorifying to God and really glorifying to the individuals that we are working with. So what we started with was, again, another caution. We didn't just go full bore into the GA. We started with a, a really small cohort, a couple hundred families. Um, these are families that we knew to some extent. And again, we partnered with the Zambian government. That's really important, too, is when you can actually partner with the local experts um, you don't want to do things. A lot of organizations make the mistake of just going and doing things without the government even being aware of what they're doing, let alone being aware of what the regulations or the policies are that the government has in place. And so we used um, basically a targeting mechanism that the government had, and we targeted the ultra materially poor. Again, I use that term materially poor, not poor in general, uh, families in Lusaka, Zambia, and we enrolled them into a 24-month cycle of the GA. Um, I think what's also really important in the Chalmers Center helped us a lot with was it's not enough simply to do the GA. You really need to also do the M&E or the monitoring and evaluation, right? And so um, it's it's great to do an intervention. It's even better to see how how it actually works, right? And so for us, um, even though it's been about a year since that 24 months has lapsed, we're still doing post-intervention checkups with all of those families to make sure that they're still sustainably out of, out of poverty. Um, and again, I think another God-glorifying thing is um, in my conversations with Brian and with Russell, that also influenced our idea for this next cohort of the GA, introducing the spiritual discipleship element as an overlay to the GA. Um, and again, that was something that comes out of collaboration and conversation, right? It doesn't just come out of me thinking of that. That would never happen. I'm not able to do that. And so I think um, for us, we really, again, emphasize um, how do we do the GA, but again, how do we get to the core of the trauma um, and some of the spiritual poverty that these uh, women in particular have experienced? Um, but going back to the collaboration um, again, I think the core thing is that ACE could not have done it on our own. Um, and I think, you know, Chalmers didn't have the implementation in Zambia to be able to do it on there by themselves. And so we were able to do something where we were able to come open hands and humbly. Um, and again, I think another thing to emphasize would be not every collaboration is going to work. You have to have wisdom, right? You have to know who you should collaborate with and maybe when and where that makes sense. And so for us, it took probably 18 months of just getting to know each other and um, praying with each other and thinking about, you know, what that could look like. And I think that sometimes people make the mistake of jumping into collaboration too quickly as well. Um, and I think for Brian and I, it took, you know, a long time just to, to know how our organizations could overlap in a God glorifying way. 
I love hearing that 18 months, you know, we're so quick to, as you talked about it, Brian, we're achievement, we're achievement, we're results, results, transactional, and especially here in the U.S., like, let's get it done, let's get it done. And you know what? It's sometimes painstaking. And you, to your point, I love that, Gabriel. Talking about that, I think if there's one thing being a lawyer taught me doing it for eight years, whatever, was you know, find the right person to do what you need done. Don't try to figure it out yourself and don't just go get someone. Get the right person, the right people. And then it's it's amazing. It's incredible when you get those right people who compliment you. As you said, you can't do it. We learn to celebrate the differences. We learn to celebrate these other people who do things way better than we do in these different areas. And then amazing things can happen. If we try to just rush it, in any of those areas, if we try to rush the person, if we try to rush the relationship, if we, you can't, you can't do this stuff without just utmost trust and respect in each other. So love that. Love hearing that story. Folks out there, listen to that. Go listen back. Just listen to those different steps. There's so much more to it as well. So I encourage you to reach out to these guys and, and learn more about that. If that's something that's just completely foreign to you, like what that 18 months? No, I'd, I'd lose all my donors. No, you won't. You just need to help them understand that the best things come when these things are done in ways that are synergistic rather than one plus one equals, you know, two, right? It should be one plus one plus one equals, you know, who knows what that number can be, right? So anyway, um, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, we got our questions that we ask everybody. We're going to do this a little differently because Brian has been on before, but also because we have two of you and it could take a long time if we do this how we normally do. But what we're going to do is quick, no commentary, no like, hey, this is the best book I've ever read. And I here's all this. You know, I want I want to hear from you because I do want to hear what you guys say to this. And Brian, it's been so long that I know you've read or listened or watched to something more recently. But what have you read, watched or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children and families with excellence? So let's start with you, Gabe. Yeah. So actually, I just went back and reread a lot of the faith to action uh, manuals. And so um, just going through all of those and also the archive that Better Care Network has um, and the research that's come out of so many different areas, those two sources in particular um, have been incredibly impactful for me. I know less about the technical dimensions of orphan care than than anybody else on this call but I'm increasingly finding myself just reading more and more in the space of what is a human being? <laughs> what does human flourishing look like? What does that look like? Because it turns out that just shows up everywhere um, in, in, in all of our work, including in this space. And so certainly Brian Byers walking with the poor uh, continues to have an impact on my life. Um, uh, Leslie Newbegin, uh, the gospel in a pluralist society, continues to shape me. Um, I've read some Trinitarian theologians, including my co-author, Kelly Capic. So I, I, I find myself reading more and more in the space of just theological anthropology. It sounds really highfalutin, and I'm an economist. I, I can hardly understand what I'm reading half the time. But the, the more I plunge, the more I immerse myself in that stuff, I find the more it's helping me to see applications in a wide range of settings. Absolutely. I love that you said it's kind of heady and it's kind of that because Brandon's up there cheering. If you're listening to this, Brandon's like getting super excited because this is his, that's like his, yeah, it's his love language. It's his love language. Those, those heady things. So, um, no, all great books. I love that you're the talking about that because human flourishing, that's what it's all about. If it's not, then we're, 
not doing it right. So, um, okay. Uh, last question. Uh, we'll start with Brian on this one. If it could be a similar answer. I don't even remember what you said. So if it's the same answer, great. If not, great. But, uh, what person is, is, uh, most impacted your thinking on how we can love, uh, orphan and vulnerable children and families with excellence? Um, I would actually say that, uh, uh two of my colleagues, my co-authors, uh, Steve Corbett, my co-author on uh, When Helping Hurts and several other books, and then Russ Mask, we mentioned earlier, who co-authored a book with me called From Dependence to Dignity, which is all about microfinance. Those two brothers, who are both nearing retirement, by the way, and so we're kind of going through that process, those two brothers have discipled me for 25 years, and and yeah, this is, I'm just so grateful to both of them for all they've taught me. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I can't say one individual person, I would say the ACE Zambia local team, to be honest. Um, we have a local leadership team, but even uh, looking at some of the caregivers that we have in our crisis nurseries and just seeing that they're there every day, there's not a lot of glamour to it. Um, it's difficult, um, but they're sacrificing and, and they're there day in and day out. I would say that's where the rubber meets the road on a lot of this. It's easy to to say contextually, you know, this and this and uh, hypothetically, but to actually see these, you know, individual caregivers that are sacrificing for their families to care for the most vulnerable. Um, that's really for me where it's kind of um, impacted me the most. So, Awesome. Well, guys, uh, I so respect both of you. I am so encouraged by both of you, um, encouraged by this collaborative. I love having this picture of what we talk about on this show that is is, is helping lives, helping people flourish. And so absolutely love it. Um, and I'm just grateful to call uh, both of you as friends. So thank you. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, no surprise that that was just full of so much wisdom, so much good stuff. Um, and, you know, like I said during the interview, just the collaboration, I just get so excited about seeing it actually happen, seeing two great organizations coming together to do things they never could have done on their own. And it's awesome. Awesome. So what'd you think about it, Brandon? Well, no, I I loved it. I mean, anytime you get to talk with Brian, it's it's he, he's just smart as a wit, winsome, you know, funny. Uh, Gabe just brought so much to the conversation from his own expertise. Uh, yeah, just great conversation. I, I think it's one of those things, and I know this is very much in kind of the genesis and the ethos of why you started this podcast was recognizing all these different areas that feed into orphan care. Right? The, yeah, orphan care isn't just this kind of siloed off child welfare thing there's all sorts of things uh all sorts of dynamics that kind of feed into what it help means to you know help a family thrive and be strong right so i i just love this kind of archetype of you know bringing together the best in uh in orphan care as well as the best in economic development and and seeing what can be created and i i feel like uh ace and chalmers really kind of uh kind of typified that. So yeah, great conversation with, with a couple really, really great guys. So yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I, I think we talked probably enough during that interview and it was a longer interview. Um, I know we also could talk about Brian and Ace and Gabe and all that they're doing. Um, but you know, I think because it's been quite a long show, I'm going to ask you, do you have any last parting words? 
Um, and then I just have a quick recommendation. We're going to sign off. It'll be, a, I think, one of the one of my favorite episodes I've done in a while. So I'm, I'm psyched right. on it. Right. Well, I would just kind of say, you know, in our last episode with Peter Greer, um, and then certainly now, anytime we have authors on, we always say read their books. But I think when it, we talk about Brian Fickert, like, seriously, you have to read the books, right? You ha- yeah. If you haven't read When Helping Hurts, get out from your cave and go read it because it's amazing. But pick out some of his other books because they're also really fantastic. So uh, yeah. please definitely go pick those up. But uh, that's not the main recommendation necessarily, uh, although it is oh, in a way it is. Uh, definitely Absolutely. check, out, are- check out the work of Brian. But I think you might have another recommendation as we kind of get to that final segment. As they say, like, I know that uh, Patrick Lencioni has the thing called pay to play uh, or play. What What is it? Not pay to play. It's like basically everyone has to have certain values. If you don't have them, you can't even get on the field type thing. If you haven't read What Helping Hurts and you're listening to this podcast, or you're doing this work, you need to read it. I, I basically say everyone who breathes should read When Helping Hurts. So it's not a recommendation. Like if you're doing certain things. If you're a Christian, if you're a human, um, 100%, it's just human flourishing. So yes, that, um, and I, I think Brian said it as well, that podcast episode, that Achieved versus Received Identity, um, I've never I've never pumped House Auger Explains Leadership on here before, but it was so perfectly interwoven with, with, with what he was talking about. I, I, I needed to, so we'll have that in the show notes. But the other book that I, I read recently, I just finished it, and I just flew through it. I'm going to listen to it again with my family is uh the life we've always the life we've always wanted or the life you always want i can't remember exactly the title but andy crouch's uh newer book i don't know if it's his newest but andy crouch again he's like brian fickard if he writes something it's good it's just like he doesn't just write stuff for money or anything most people don't but he definitely doesn't it's he actually said i i remember the first time i interviewed him on this show he said actually the only time he said i don't really like to write i like to edit but so when he writes something, it absolutely is is gold, and this this is no exception. It's all about human flourishing and seeing. Don't just see people, see persons, and it's the distinction. Check out the book, listen. It's everything, and so definitely, so um, definitely recommend it. I it's just so much goodness. But um, Andy Crouch is a favorite man. Yeah, uh, he's so, an amazing speaker. I was just listening to him on podcast the other day. It's like, oh, I've listened to all my kind of subscribe to podcasts. Who am I going to look up? Yeah. Look up Andy Crouch, you know, because he's just the and best. You know, that's what's so cool about this. I listen to it as usual. He reads it. So, and I normally listen in one and a half to two times speed. I actually slowed it down because, and I, I was convicted by that. I was like, you know what? And he, I think, was the one who said, listen to books. If they're read by the author, especially listen to books in one time speed. I went to 1.2 because one was too slow, but it was 1.2, I think was as typical if we're in a conversation, what it would be like. And we've had those conversations. So strongly recommend it. Listen to it. You hear intonations you wouldn't in the book, read the book too. But um, with all that though, folks, as always, check out what we're recommending. This, this episode, man, go listen to it again. And take all that you're learning from all of it and use it. Pray that you use it to help you to love orphaned, vulnerable children and families with more and more excellence each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple of weeks. 
We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.